Hello and welcome to the 38th episode of the Red Sox Filtered Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Green, back and ready to deliver another awesome off-season episode. We got an, a really informative, interesting interview with Eagle Tribune's Chris Mason, Red Sox beat writer, um, coming up later in the show. Stick around for that. We're going to have a little bit of banter um, before we get to that, though. Um, joining me, as always, our lovely co-host, Dave Latham. Dave, say hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, normally, I try to lead in with a clever thought, but I got nothing. So, Dave, you let me you let me down. Uh, I look forward to your clever thoughts every time we do it. This is sad. Um, but we are also joined with Chris Drozen. Drozen. Chris, say hi. Hey. How are you, Chris? I'm wonderful. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Pressure. He always just comes in with a high and low. You know you're getting that. I feel like there's a little bit more I got to add yeah, on. And I, see, see I just dropped the ball this time around. You set the precedent, though, Dave. Because yeah. With a clever statement every time. Chris, is, Chris knows like he's just going to say hi, and that's going to be that. My I'm first, gonna lead off with just like random facts. My first one, my first, uh, <laughs> my first thing was hi. Like, that was the first thing that I did. I was just like hi, and since then it's you know I can do whatever I want now. And, and now he's known as the high guy. Yeah. yeah. Did you know in 1992 all three major U.S. presidential candidates were left-handed? Is that true? I think it was 92. One of the ones like either in the late 80s or or like the 90s, like they were all lefties. So. Who? Who were the three? I don't know that. Okay. That's worth a Google. Or maybe um, it was like all three Republican candidates, because I think Clinton was a righty. I, I, can, and, I honestly and cannot to speak to their handiness. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, back to the... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's just get in here. Um, the big news, that's not really big news, but is news. Um, we also have Twitter questions we're going to get to in a sec, and that'll tie into a lot of the major topics that have happened. Major in quotation marks, air quotes, topics that have happened for the Red Sox over the past week since we last recorded. But this was not a question, so let's just start off with this. Drew Pomeranz has reached a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Of course, Pomeranz spent two and a half years in the Red Sox organization. He was an all-star in 2017. He was not an all-star in 2018. But... um, yeah, that's that's the Drew Pomeranz experience. Um, now he's found a home with the San Fran Giants, and it's um, it's 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 a it's a major league deal. So this is this is interesting. Um, there's three point five million impossible roster and performance bonuses with that deal too. So there's some earning potential um, with with this deal for Pomeranz, and obviously we know two years ago he pitched at an All Star caliber level, so. There's definitely room for him to get that, but um, I want to know how you guys, th- or what you think of this deal, and talk about, b- briefly reflect on Drew Pomeranz's tenure with the Red Sox. So, uh, Dave, take it away. So, I'm happy for Pom Pom. He obviously had a horrible 2018, but he really was never healthy. Uh, 2017 Pom was a really good pitcher. Uh, he paled in comparison to Chris Sale, but everyone pales in comparison to Chris Sale. And honestly, we probably don't win the division in 2017 without him there to help out. I think the Padres got a really good deal, or not the Padres, but you know. Um, I think they got a really good deal here, because it's a good buy-low candidate. I wouldn't have been opposed to bringing him back on a deal similar to this, just because there is a good pitcher in there, 
if he's healthy. Obviously, health's always been the issue with him. But when he's healthy, he's really good. So I'm rooting for I'm rooting for Palm. I think that he got gets a lot of hate for one really bad year last year. But uh, best of luck in the future, Pom Pom. Was this deal worth it for the Red Sox? I know, obviously, it's still going to take time for to actually know that because the pot, the guys the Padres got have obviously not carved out a major league role yet. But um, do you think that in the grand scheme of things, this is going to prove to be worth it? His two and a half years of meh. Eh. Well, I mean, it depends on how much you value like regular season success. Because as I said earlier, twenty seventeen. We don't win the division without him. So if you like division, like winning a division, getting a home playoff series, I'd say so, especially since Espinosa, the guy we traded, looks like he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Like he's been hurt, and I think he still hasn't pitched in the double-A level. So, you know, fine. But if you're like, you only do this trade to win a World Series and otherwise it's a bust, then yeah, it was a bad trade. But, you know, I think it was fine. It wasn't great. wasn't terrible. It was fine. <laughs> uh, what about you, Chris? What are your thoughts on the Drew Pomeranz uh, one-year deal with the San Fran Giants? Do you think he looked disgusted when he uh, signed the deal? <laughs> Did probably? You think like he just like looked like he was having the time of his life, or do you think like he looked like I'm all set with this? Yeah, his face was resting. I think he. I think he was just whelmed about the situation, you know? <laughs> but was... I, I, Drew Pomerantz, I, I, I love, I love watching him on the, the mound. He was, he was a thrill to watch. Um, very, very, very nonchalant in his body language. Looked like he didn't want to be there mostly. That's all I really have to say about Drew Pomerantz. Though he did have a good run there, Drew Pomerantz. I'll miss Drew you. Pomerantz. I'll miss but, you, yeah, Pomerantz. We'll miss you, Drew. But, um, yeah, speaking to what Dave said about Espinosa, yeah, he he obviously was dealing with injuries uh, since he's kind of gotten traded. But he hasn't pitched since 2016. So that's, uh, that's a long time. That's literally when the deal was actually made. I mean, he did okay in 2016, but he's been off the field since then. So um, obviously you judge these things based on, I mean, somewhat of the process and – Maybe the process was not very well thought, but Espinosa really is not amount to nothing. So it doesn't really matter how Pomeranz performed because he did give the Red Sox a good 2017. He was an integral part of that playoff run, if you can call it a run. They went to the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, Pomeranz, you, 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 did, you did okay. You did okay. But now we're going to segue here into some Twitter questions because we actually have we have a, a good 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 bit to get to, and... They're kind of all on relevant topics that we were gonna we we're gonna discuss anyway. So why not just uh, start with that? So our first question is from Annie hashtag Damage Done. Um, her Twitter handle is at Dirty Water four four four. By the way, follow us on Twitter at Bosox and Filtered. That's uh, you can you, we tweet all the time. Dave and I mostly Dave, but there are some really good content on there that you guys could see if you followed us. Click follow button. But, yeah, Annie asks, how do you feel about Salty's retirement? Obviously, this is alluding to former Red Sox catcher Jared Salta-Lamakia, who called it a career earlier this week. He had played um, a big role-ish in the 2013 World Series. Um, he was one of the better Red Sox catchers 
of the last decade, and obviously not saying that much, but Saltamachia, I mean, what I cannot think of a name that is more fun to say than Saltamachia. <laughs> so, uh, Dave, what were your thoughts on, on this retirement news? Yeah, I mean, good, good for you, Salty. He had a pretty good career, and I always found it funny thinking back to 2011 that uh, see, that off season we got Adrian Gonzalez, we got Carl Crawford. We're going to take the world by storm. And yeah, I guess we got Jared Saltalamacchia too. Whatever, who cares? He's our nine hitter in an otherwise stacked lineup, and he had the longest Red Sox tenure of anyone that came aboard that year. And that always just you know is good for a chuckle. Uh, thanks for ALCS game two, buddy. Couldn't have. Well, we might have won it without you, but you helped yeah. for retirement. Uh, he was worth 8.7 career war. He had a 3.5 win season with the Red Sox in 2013, which obviously most important year. He, he hit for 116 WRC+. plus The year before, he had 25 home runs. His slugging percentage was 450 and up for three straight years. I mean, that's pretty good. He was only on the Red Sox for, what, three years, three full years, and he did well with the stick. He had some trouble behind the plate, but he was he, he had a nice nice three years. So we're gonna miss him. Uh, Chris, what about you? You got words you want to say about Salty? Uh, I personally love the back of his jersey with the the, <laughs> the lettering having to like it makes you basically. That was that was that was awesome. Uh, no, but I I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about Salty. He was he was. Uh, he was a, a, a good as catcher as you could have probably wished for to come after Jason Veritek. And then I think, since, since then it's been kind of a dumpster fire, but what are you going to do? I think it was good for the people who were in charge of manufacturing Red Sox merchandise that Salt Holmachia was not better. Because could you imagine if that jersey was in demand? Do you think that they, they would have to, do you think they have to like, charge by the letter for that or something like that? Like, I mean, yeah, it's got to They be make expensive. a lot of money off them regardless, but like the profit margin's definitely smaller because yeah. like so much ink you have there. to print a lot more, you have to sew a lot more like and I just feel like generally it would just be very frustrating because you would have to cram it onto just a, it's just a tiny Yeah, space. like there's yeah. there's strategy there. You got to plan that out. It's not like Trot Nixon or, you know, something nice and simple. No, or even like a bets. Like you have mm-hmm. to. Honestly, I feel like you just got to truncate it to salty. If if mm-hmm. he was like better, because that's <laughs> that's the only only way you could do that and probably make a profit. Yeah. Saltalmaki, that is long. Uh, yeah, but that's how we feel about Saltalmaki. I'm definitely lamenting the fact that he has gone from baseball. Um, I didn't realize but, that he actually played in 2018 or 2017. Did he, he really? He did. The Tigers. He had eight plate appearances and zero hits. Huh. I, I thought this was like like the Shane Victorino retirement where I haven't played in three years, but now it's official. No, um, he was yeah. he was in Triple uh, A for a lot of it. Did hit terribly. I think I think in his last two years he went to the plate thirty four times and he had one hit. Yep, that is correct. He so, was due. Yeah. Sign him. Yeah. Take him out of retirement. He's due, he's due for one. I mean, like, but before, we, before we talk about, you know, Salty being over the hill, keep in mind, we started Dan Butler, a catcher, in 2018. Sure. In 108 games. Sure. I, honest, I honestly think that Jared Saltalmachia could be, um, could be a, a lateral um, gain for the Red, for the Red Sox. Because, <laughs> I mean... I mean you could probably get like Jason Veritek this very minute, and he wouldn't hit worse than Sandy. Yeah, exactly. But that brings us to our next question from Scott and Dell, who has 
tweeted at us in the past. How you, how you doing? Thank you for tweeting at us again. He's at the underscore surfing underscore guy. And he asked us, what is Swihart's ceiling? I'm going to defer this to Dave right now because I, I think you guys know how I feel about this. But I, I will answer. Uh, Dave, you go, you, you go ahead here. Swihart's ceiling is an average defensive catcher with a above-average bat for a catcher. Not going to light the world on fire. He's not going to, like, take home the slugging title or anything. But if to the catcher position, he could be a better-than-average hitter. Realistically, he's probably not going to get there. I think he can be an average hitter just because, like, Pat, you're going to mention Woba versus ex-Woba and all that stuff. But to counter yes. that, you got to look at the human aspect of Blake Swihart hasn't played with any regularity since 20, since really 2015, because he got hurt early in 2016. 2017, he spent clearly not better in the minors, like trying to get healthy again. In 2018, he didn't have regular plate appearances at all. When he was, like, and again, this is relative. I'm not saying he's this all-time great hitter. Just relative to catchers, because catchers can't hit at all. Um, relative to a catcher, I think he can give you an average bat in the lineup. I think he can play serviceable enough defense that if you platoon him with Vasquez, you have a okay catcher situation. Okay. Uh, what about you, Chris? I think most, mostly the same as Dave. I mean, he, he's going into 27, but he's never really been given a shot to catch full time. Like they, yeah. they pretty much just kind of, they screwed this guy up pretty much. They uh, murdered him. Yeah. He, he was doing pretty well until they threw him out in the outfield. He hurt himself. Yeah. Yeah, 2015 Swihart was a good player. Yeah, and even yeah. if you look in the minors, he was really good until, you know, he hurt himself in the outfield. And I, I think yeah. I think the Red Sox just kind of screwed up his entire career, unfortunately. Yeah, and this I goes mean, like, he's still got time to put like, him back on track. But. Yeah. It goes, like, across organizations, too, because, like, Farrell was the one who put him out in the outfield first, which you pro- probably shouldn't try to teach a guy how to play the outfield on the fly in the major leagues. But, like, this year, Cora, like, I don't want to complain about the guy because he did a fantastic job as a first-year manager, but Swihart was grossly like mismanaged. This it was basically a wasted roster spot the entirety of the season. I didn't wasn't a fan of how they utilized him, but you know we won 180 games in a World Series, so you can't complain too much about it. So uh, I, I've talked about what I think of Blake Swihart in the past, but I, I will say, if like to answer the question of his ceiling, I, I agree with you. I think it he could be. A, a close to average, above average bat. But I feel like that's a ceiling, and I don't know if uh, ceilings are obviously like where they're going to top out. I think the most likely scenario is he's probably like a 70, 80 WRC plus below average hitter, can't really play catch very well, can't play defense, got a strong arm, can run the bases a little bit. But he just, uh, as, as you said about the ex-WOBA, and I hate to bring this up because I bring this up a lot, his expected WOBA was actually lower than his WOBO, and he had a 64 WRC+, plus, which means he was 36% below average hitter. Um, that's not good. That suggests that he should have been worse than what he actually performed. But granted, I will give you the consistency thing. Like, he, he didn't get a chance to really, you know, be out there all the time and get his mechanics down, and he was thrust into an inopportune situation. And when he started getting regular playing time, he got hurt. It's just like looking at the underlying numbers, I'm not impressed. And even like I, I feel like we're, we're we're relishing into this nostalgia of what could have been because the last time we have evidence of a, of a, a viable sample size of Blake Swire being a good hitter was 2015. He's also, the getting, last time he played, really. 
Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. That's that's a very long time ago, and he had 200 plate appearances this year. And say what you will about not getting consistency at bat, but 2015 is a long time ago, and and obviously he's he's aging. And I don't know if there's that much hope that the bat can be resurrected because I I did see I did see some flashes, but uh, I think the most likely scenario is you're going to have a, a below average hitter. But he could could, could get up. Oh. I mean, below average relative to the average major, major league are fine, but below a- average catcher, a- average relative to catcher. Well, I, I think the average catcher WRC plus is like ninety two, um, and he's really? only done that. Yeah, and huh. he did that in twenty. He had a ninety three in twenty fifteen, and if we say that that's his ceiling, that's like right around average, because he had a sixty four this year. So like. I know catchers obviously can't hit. Well, let, let me let me actually check that out. I, I, it's around because I, I thought I heard it was like in the eighties or something. Yeah, and and if 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 I, I may be wrong here, so I, I'm 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 going to look this up, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's closer to ninety. But let's see. And like I even, really like can't think of more than five catchers that can hit oh, worth a damn. Well, okay, it's eighty. It's eighty five. It was eighty five. Oh, so I, so I, I was wrong. Do that. I, yeah, he 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 could get a. Above that threshold, yeah. yeah. So I, I was wrong. That's my that was my flawed thinking. And I, but I, I still think his projection on Steamer is eighty three for the year, which would still be below that. Um, and Steamer obviously projection system, which are naturally conservative, but yeah, ceiling is above that. I will say. Um, next question is my favorite question, and I think you guys know what I'm about <laughs> to refer to. Um, so we have a. Uh, our friend John Jefferson, I think this is his first Twitter question to us, um, at John, J-E-F-1439-8510. That's his Twitter handle, and he asks us, and, I, and I'm sure we'll, we'll each take like five minutes each to talk about this, because this is, this is, this is going to have to be an abstract answer. Um, why does Cora eat seeds nonstop? So, uh, I, I mean, who wants to go first? I'm sure since we've solved this, this is all we've been thinking about. But, uh, Dave, Dave, you go ahead. Go, you, you'll take the mantle here. Why does Cora eat seats not, nonstop? Well, first, you've got to get inside the mind of a manager. And you have to realize that in the, ga- in the game of baseball, like, in-game management only goes so far. You need to send a message to the clubhouse. You need to find unique ways to do that. And the best way to do that is through the power of symbology. Now, seeds are obviously relate, closely related to growth. You plant seed in the ground, you get a tree. So by Cora constantly eating these seeds, he's, he's uh, subconsciously reinforcing the idea that he's bringing in stuff to make this team grow, and it reflects on the team around, knowing that they need to be as all-in in their games as Cora is with those seeds. <laughs> but... Could you also argue that since he's eating the seeds and he's spitting out the shells, that he's like getting rid of the growth by spitting? No, them out? I would argue he's taking the growth in him and leaving the unnecessary crap behind. Ah, okay, okay, oh, okay. You know, Dave, that was an intricate answer. Let's see how Chris Balls is up. I, I got, I got nothing like that. Uh, I I was trying to I'm googling some stuff about like the nutritional benefits of sunflower seeds um, and I found that they are an excellent source of vitamin E and a good source of copper and vitamin B1 so I guess he may have a vitamin E deficiency and he he, he needs to eat more 
See, that's a more uh, scientific way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe you just... You've never to managed the- a major league club, have you, Chris? No. <laughs> we have. No. Uh, so, I mean, like, maybe, theoretically, he just wants to piss off the grounds crew, because they're, they're the ones responsible for cleaning up all those sunflower seeds. Maybe mm. he wants to make it hard on them. Or my, my second thought was maybe it's like a calming effect for him because maybe it's like it's like a nervous habit that he does to distract himself so he doesn't get too angsty. It keeps him grounded. It's like a fidget spinner for, for your mouth. Bad move. See? Can't show fear in front of the team. Shows weakness. Well, they don't know it's fear. He, he guises it as a symbol. Well, they do now. I symbology. You, every member no, of the 40-man no, 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 roster no, no. listens to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. I mean, like, on the surface, like, when he goes back and he gives his speeches and everything, he says this is a symbol of growth, like you said. But in reality, he's doing it to mask his fear. Uh, okay, okay. I, I, can, I can work with that. I think it's layered. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just surface level, you know? I, I, think, I think there are multiple symbolic things we have to think it's about. The type of 40 hyper, hyperdimensional chess Alex Cora plays on a weekly basis <laughs> while the other managers are just playing checkers. Exactly. The, and not even playing checkers right, they're like eating the pieces thinking they're Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds about right. Uh so anybody else wanna wanna go? Stay more tuned for more hard hitting analysis. No, I mean I think these are the questions we need to answer. <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to important. I'm trying to see what all these different vitamins that are in uh, <laughs> that are in sunflowers do. Um yeah, I, 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 vitamin E is like an antioxidant, basically. Copper helps make blood, so maybe he just needs more blood. <laughs> I guess. Hey, hey. Now, I've, I've, got, blood. Science. I've got uh, one more, and this is probably oh, the hey, theory so, of Selenium is important for reproduction, the thyroid gland function, DNA production, protecting the body from damage caused by free radicals. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe, oh, why doesn't Tyler Thornburg eat more uh, sunflower seeds then? Could have avoided that whole thyroid thing. <laughs> uh, that's a good what, point. What, what was your theory, Dave? Might just like the taste. Maybe. No, come on, don't, 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 don't reduce this answer. <laughs> it's not possible. Phosphorus, phosphorus helps you rebuild bones. All right, this let's, uh, been milked dry. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna what's, move what's on manga, here. What's manganese do? Anyone know what manganese does? Um, I feel like that's another one for your bones. Yeah, it is. there's a lot of stuff with bones in here. So oh, I think he, metal. I clearly he's just trying to be you know the best meat bag flying through on the space rock that he can be. He's probably the 26th man on the roster. Like if shit got really weird, he'd just put himself in at second base. So he's staying ready. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, with like the second that, base step the Red Sox have, it's, it's not yeah. the worst option. I would have rather had Cora player manage last year than Kinsler, you know, for being completely honest about it. I think Cora should try out for catcher. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? Hanley, Hanley had the pads on. Yeah. Uh, Colts are emergency catcher right now. Yeah. So, well, we got three catchers anyway. Maybe. Maybe. Stay tuned for that. But our next question is from at Steve Curious 2. And this is going to pertain to the new, the biggest news that's happened in the Red Sox this week. Sunflower seeds are the biggest news. Yes, uh, besides sunflower seeds, excuse me. Um, he and this is at Steve Curious Two on Twitter. That's his handle. Um, he said a lot in parentheses. Most fans are not happy about the Mejia signing. 
Um, for context, Henry Mejias had a lifetime ban um, for failing multiple PED violations, and the Red Sox signed him to a one-year 650K minor league deal. Um, he said, I consider it a low-risk, high-reward signing without the need of using a 40-man roster spot or paying big money. Agree or disagree? And he said, yeah, and yes, I agree, the BP does not help still. Um, okay. What are you, what are your guys' thoughts? Dave, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I see both sides of the argument here. On the one hand, it is just, you know, signing a guy to a minor league deal where if he does something for you, great. If not, who cares? Um, there is potential there, although chances are all of his numbers were accumulated and did outrage. So who knows how good he naturally is? Um, but on the other hand, yeah, like, seriously, the Red Sox bullpen needs some serious help, and this is the signing you make before the, like, World Series, like, obviously Kimbrel's still out there, but it sounds like we're not going that route, and, I mean, is this really the best we can do? Because right now the bullpen is Barnes and Brazier, who, I like them as setup men, can they handle being closers? Who knows? Durbin Feltman, who's never pitched above, uh, uh single A. He's going to have to start the year in double A, but he'll probably be brought up sooner than you'd like. Uh, Travis Likens, who great promise, but again, never pitched in the majors. You've got like, who else? Heath Hembry, Brandon Workman. These are guys that are good early relievers, but you don't want them in anything important. Bobby Pointer, kind of the same deal there. And now you're just bringing in like, you know, Medea, like, who cares? This is This is seriously what you're throwing at us? Like, this in the hope that Tyler Thornburg like turns the clock back to 2016. Don't forget about Carson Smith. He can't even throw yet. I'm just saying, and theoretically down the road, Carson Smith is here. Um, but I, I would like to speak to that. Um, if if this is their only move, then eh, that's not ideal. But at the same time, yeah, I I agree with Steve. This is very low risk and high reward. Like we have to remember that this guy was a Really formidable back end of uh, end of the bullpen guy for the Mets for a couple years there. Um, he does have nasty stuff. I know he hasn't really gotten se- seriously pitched since 2014, but again, like you don't have much to lose here. I don't think this is a moral a moralistic catastrophe like some people are making it out to be. Uh, we'll talk about this with Chris in the interview coming up, but I I, I don't know. I think Mejia. I mean, look, it's there's potential here, and that's exciting, and I think there's more of a, a background and a resume than a lot of the guys who are vying for some of the spots. So I don't think this is a bad deal, and I don't think it's probably, hopefully, not the only deal. Um, I know he's not going to replace Craig Kimbrell, but if you can get a good, you know, sixth-inning guy or D guy, I mean, I, I'd roll the dice on this. This is... I don't know why a lot of people are so upset with this. I think it's just it's been like culmination of frustration that the Red Sox have not done anything in the reliever market, and they've watched these guys like David Robertson go for relatively cheap, and even like a Cody Allen, and, and they've seen Zach Britton, and it's just it's just mounting frustration. But I don't think Mejia should add to Red Sox fans' frustration. I think that he could be a, a decent chip down the road. So it, it's kind of interesting that they're getting people are getting pretty angry over this i don't think i don't think they're getting angry over the signing itself they're getting angry over like what it represents in the grand the bigger scheme of things so yeah like this guy was suspended three times for ped use and received a lifetime ban from mlb which apparently you get to appeal that after two years weird 
Uh, <laughs> lifetime ban. Two years. Whatever. Um, same thing. <laughs> but it the the whole thing about we talked about this with Chris Mason briefly um, about the players that are tweeting about it and they're like either this guy can find a job but I can't blah blah blah. You should really be looking more to guys that are domestic violence issues and whatnot. They still have jobs. Like let's let's talk about what's really a problem here. Stephen uh, Wright. <laughs> Stephen Wright, for instance, uh, Roberto Asuna, Addison Russell. Uh, there's there's a lot more there's a lot of bigger things other than some guys shoving a needle exactly. in his butt or whatever you do with PEDs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like like but, I think this yeah, sort of building on that. I feel like the reaction to this signing would have been a lot different if we had signed a David Robertson or an Adam Ottavino or somewhere where it's like if this works out, great. If it doesn't, great. But like the way the bullpen's currently set up, you're you're not banking on this working, but you kind of need it to, in a sense, just because it's so much of a crapshoot back there right now. And it just, I don't know, the whole bullpen situation's left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And I just think, like, saying, hey, look, we took a gamble on a guy that's almost certainly not going to work out. Like, I think people are mad at that, and they're looking for any excuse they can get to justify that anger. Yeah, and I don't think that's the signal that should be received. I get why it would be, but, I mean, you got to... First of all, I'm going to give credence to the Red Sox. I mean, they're coming off a World Series win. I would I would say that the frustration's a little preemptive at this point. Um, more moreover, I I think that again, Mejia is 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 he's he has potential, and I don't know why that they're taking this symbolically as, you use, you as a message that they won't sign anyone up. Huh? What you use you use that word potential a lot. I do well because I said it <laughs> yeah. once. Who's got Bryce? more potential? Uh, Bryce, he Bryce? has more potential. Are we talking Bryce Brentz? Bryce, 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 Bryce Brentz and Jenry uh, or Henry and Mejia. Are they the same age? I don't think they uh, are. Brentz is probably old. Brentz is thirty, right? Mejia is twenty-nine. Mejia is twenty-nine. Henry Mejia is going to be twenty-nine. This is his twenty-nine season. Mejia is twenty-nine right now. Brentz is going into his age thirty season. So let's yep. stop talking about potential here. The guy hasn't. The guy hasn't pitched in what three years, at least. In uh, in argument for for Blake Swihart, then the same kind of thinking. I guess I, I just I, I don't think I I, I just the, the I think the outrage is misplaced and like Dave said, no, I, I think agree. it's I think it's definitely because nothing else has happened and this is like the big signing or whatever. No, and that's no, what people no, are. Yeah. But that's what people are viewing it as. It's not. Yeah, this is but. this is the same anger as like when we didn't sign JD Martinez and there were rumors that the Red Sox were going after Logan Morrison. Exactly. Yeah. Look, exactly I mean, the thing. process of signing Logan Morrison back then was not bad. <laughs> Obviously, that that would have been a ca- catastrophe. Really happy they got JD Martinez. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to go into the Logan Morrison rabbit hole, but. <laughs> He had potential. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So, yeah, one more thing before we wrap up. Greg Holland signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. That was on Chris's wish list. It's been on Chris's Red Sox relieving wish list this entire offseason. But Sergio Romo is still available, and that has been Dave's guy for quite a while now. Uh, Dave, you want to talk about your affinity for this man? So, Greg Holland signed... What can we do about it? Sergio Romo! Affinity is a strong word, and after hearing Chris make the case for uh, Holland last week, I actually kind of got more on board with that than Romo. But 
since Holland's not an option anymore, I am back on the Romo train. It's it's 2014. It's the Dallas Cowboys, and we are we are all on Romo right now. So I mean, again, <laughs> that was a stretch, and I apologize. But, <laughs> I mean, I again, I it. I need to emph- I cannot emphasize this enough. I do not expect this guy to be great. I expect him to be serviceable at a cheap cost, which is apparently all the Red Sox are interested in. Uh, he had a rough year last year when Tampa Bay had a surprisingly good year completely out of nowhere. But, like, if you look throughout his career, he's normally a guy with an ERA in, like, you know, the mid to high threes, which, not great, but, you know, you can live with that. You can easily live with that. So I just think, you know, look at looking at what else is out there, looking at what's probably available for the cost, I think you could do a lot worse than Sergio Romo right now. Yeah, and I, I talked about Justin Wilson last week. That's another guy, a lefty, who has had put together some good years, kind of was weirdly thrust into a loogie role with the Cubs, though he does pretty good against righties and lefties. Um, should be another guy that the Red Sox are interested in. But, yeah, Romo, Wilson's still out there. They're they're falling off the board, though. They're falling Drew Brees wore a Red Sox hat to a uh, basketball game, so that, maybe that, we got him. That tweet did very well, Dave. I was, I was impressed. Yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> People are desperate. People are desperate. But yeah, that's actually going to do it, guys, for this episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Again, stay tuned for the interview with Chris Mason, Eagle Tribune, Chris Mason, Red Sox beat writer. That's coming up on the on the tail end of this. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll catch you guys on we'll catch you guys on the other side. Hello, uh, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, we got Red Sox beat writer for the Eagle Tribune, Chris Mason. Chris, thank you so much for being on. We're excited to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so we're just going to get right in here. Um, so my first question is, do I want to get a little bit of background um, about your career with the Eagle Tribune and as a Red Sox beat writer? How did you get into sports journalism, and how did you land your current job? So it's interesting. Originally, I was never even a journalism major in college. I was just an English major, but uh-huh. I always liked sports growing up, right? Um, so my senior year, I got an internship at 98.5 The Sports Hub. But it's funny. I'm kind of a procrastinator. So most of the time, those uh, those internships, like you're on one of those shows for all three days, like basically just screening calls, going to meetings and whatever. Most of the spots had filled up by the time I did that. So this is back uh, – Back before Beatle was on the midday, it was Greshenzo. So on Mondays, I would do their show. I would do the call screening, the production meetings, that sort of stuff. And then on Wednesdays and Fridays, because there was already someone that was doing that, uh, they had me start writing for their website, which was cool. They were uh, with CBS Boston then. So it was, it was weird. It's kind of like technically two different internships, but it wasn't at the same time. Okay. Um, so basically, while I was there, uh, one day – my boss on the writing side was like, hey, you should try and talk to Maz. Like, I know you're not on a show, but, like, I know we can be Maz on the radio, but off the, off the air, Tony Maserati is a really nice guy, and I'm sure he'll talk to you about it, right? Yeah. So we grabbed lunch, we grabbed lunch one day, and, uh, you know, we're just talking for a while, and he was like, look, I, uh, there's a job opening at the Boston Herald. It's basically it's an editorial assistant. You're maintaining agate pages, which is basically putting box scores in the paper, right? It's, it's like, very mind-numbing work most of the time. Um, but he said, Hey, I started out doing it. Felger started out doing it. Like I can give him your name if you want to go in an interview. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, like anything to try and get my foot in the door with sports writing. And so I got that job. And then it was one of those things where, so they told me when I got it, right. 
this is not a writing job. This is editorial. The editorial assistant is like, you're going to just be putting scores in the paper. And I was like, sure, sure. Yeah, no big deal. I'll, I'm, I'm happy to do that. All the while knowing that, like, the longer editorial assistants are there, the more they start to finally get writing jobs. So it was funny. I think I went, like, four months there before they gave me my first assignment. And it was, like, a Bruins development camp. And it, it was, like, very general assignment in the sports department, right? Yeah. Um, but then over time, um, you know, and, and I had a mindset there where it was like, oh, send me any word. Any, any chance I get to get a byline in here, like, I'll, I'll write it, right? <laughs> yeah. So went from, like, oh, man, I, I had a few doozy of assignments there. <laughs> like, uh, my first one was, like, Ruins Development Camp, which was cool. I was like, oh, am I always going to be doing hockey? Because I really like hockey. Then I was like, uh, no, Chris, we need you to cover figure skating. Oh, okay. Like, there's professional figure skating at the garden. We, we need you, we need you to go. And I was like, alright. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea how any of this works, so my story's gonna be like 90% quotes. Like, you know, why don't you tell me what happened out there, right? Like, um, but just really all over the place. So I had like a little, I was doing a little pass, little Bruins, little Celtics, then a little like way out of left field stuff, right? Um, but by my third year there, so I was there for three years, my third year I kind of worked my way up the totem pole and was basically the Red Sox backup beat guy. Um, so, like, I, I would do a lot of, like, I, w- I would cover the games, but I would do a lot of the ones that were, like, kind of dead weekend series that, like, I don't think the regular writers really wanted to cover, right? And uh, <laughs> But, again, any time they're like, do you want to go cover the Red Sox? Like, yep, <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> So then uh, after, so I, I ended up getting a bunch of good clips to put together. And then, um, yeah, so after three years, this job at the Eagle Tribune opened that I have now. Actually, CNHI Sports Boston is a, uh, it's a bunch of, it's like an entire chain, but we're in like four North Shore papers. So it's also the Salem News, Gloucester Times, Jerry Port Daily News. But um, yeah, I interviewed for that job. They had a Red Sox beat opening and I had the clips and uh, I've been there for, this is my third year there now. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now. So what what was that moment like when you were first able to actually step into Fenway Park and, and cover that team? Was it intimidating? Was it cathartic? What, what, were, what were you feeling? Oh, it's definitely, I think it's both, you know. Like, it's, it's certainly intimidating, you know. The first time you go into a professional, like, clubhouse, right, and you, you don't really know the lay of the land. Like, that was one of the nice things about coming up at the Herald was that you always had, like, when I was there I had, Michael Silverman or Jason Mastrodonato or Evan Drellick, someone else there that I could, like, bounce question off, bounce questions off of before I, you know, just accidentally did something dumb. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it, it was – I mean, it, it's pretty surreal to be able to, like, cover a professional sports team, right? Like, it, it's it's a really cool thing. But it is also – like, when you get started, it's intimidating. Like, it, it's nice that over time, like, the more you're in there, the more it kind of just becomes, like, your regular work, right? And it, it just kind of yeah. wears off. And, like, you, you know these guys. And, like, you can talk to them about – other stuff that's not for stories, and like it, it, it's nice. But at first, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's intimidating. So, would you say you built rapport with like all the players? Do you have like a certain strategy to how you work the clubhouse, how you get your stories? Do you have a process that works for you? Um, I don't know that it's strategy as much as like kind of just authenticity. Like, don't like I, I think players are smart enough to know when you're trying to like BS with them, right? Like. Yeah. If you come up and, like, I don't know, I talked to, like, Xander about something ridiculous, like, off the grid, but, like, maybe that I had read somewhere, I, I think he would know right away, right? Yeah. But if, you know, but if, if I hear a uh, – when, like, Clay Buckles, when he was there, uh, we have very similar music tastes, right? And he would clubhouse DJ all the time. 
so I remember that was one of the first, like, conversations I really had with a player that was, like, nothing to do with a story, right? But was like, oh, yeah, yeah we can kind of, like, connect. Like, oh, man, like, you like this Texas country music? Like, dude, I, I love these guys. I saw them last year, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I think just being authentic really lends itself to that. And then in terms of stories, um, you know, you come up with them a lot of the time, and I, players are pretty approachable for the most part, right? Um mm-hmm. They're, uh, yeah, it, it's not, it's, it's not too hard to get them. And then, like, it's, in terms of, like, rapport building, the spring training is awesome for that, just because after the first week, there really aren't that many people down there, right? Uh, yeah. it's one of those things where, like, you go the first week, all, all the TV cameras are there, all the news stations are there, but then that kind of fades away, games start up, and it's really just, like, a crew of, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 beat writers that are there at a time, and, you know, you, you can work the club up that way. Uh, that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. Um, so we're gonna get into the more uh, Red Sox oriented questions here. Um, sure. So Dave, Dave, did you have one you wanted to ask, Chris? Uh, sure. So my first question, and I think it's the one on the minds of a lot of Red Sox fans, is there an actual plan for the bullpen, or are we just going in like this? See, it's crazy. Like uh, Dave has said, you know, like oh, I don't see a big extension for a closer. He said that since the winter meetings. And it's kind of like, yeah, okay, uh, maybe. But the further you get, you know, I, I really thought that a guy like Robertson would be perfect. And you look at the money he got, it's not crazy money. You know, you're not giving Kimbrell what he asked um, originally. I, I, that keeps falling, obviously, because the market's not really there. But, you know, I thought a veteran like Robertson on a two-year deal would be perfect in the sense, like, he can close or you can use him differently, and you can kind of have Barnes and Brazier grow into those roles rather than just, you know, kind of, like, kicking him off the boat and being like, okay, guys, try and swim. Like, <laughs> just throwing him into the closer's role. Um, but it's one of those things, like, the, the further you get and the more guys you see come off the board, I mean, it's kind of just Kimberl or Bust right now, right? Like, and I yeah. did see Kimberl coming back on a, like, much lesser deal, but I, I, maybe it didn't end up being, like, a J.D. Martinez situation last year where eventually he just takes a, a much lower offer. But their spending's been interesting just because they're flirting with that highest CBT tax, and they're definitely going to go over at some point. And this is kind of like coming back to last year, right? So they didn't sign a reliever in the offseason, and it seemed like a pretty obvious need. Then they were under the CBT tax, but the trade deadline comes around, and it was obvious they needed one, right? So then they make trades, they go over it, and here you are. So why not just do that sooner and not have to give up the players? Um, but, yeah, as far as the bullpen as it is, it, they definitely could use a couple arms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I just remember going in when you mentioned, like, Dombrowski made that comment about not having a major expenditure for closer. I just thought back to 2017 when – uh J.D. was still a free agent, and Dombrowski was saying, yeah, we like to line up the way it is. We don't need Martinez, and you kind of knew it was a lie. That's not where I thought he was going with this, but the closer and closer we get to spring training, and like you said, everybody but Kimbrell that's good is gone. So uh, it's just it's very strange, I suppose, uh, that it's definitely so all in on this window, and yet we won't spend a little extra for a closer. And it's interesting, too, like, Given all these guys that you have coming up next year, I, I think you can buy it a little more when he says we're not going to do it than JD, just because that was such an obvious fit, right? And like yeah. they needed that bat so badly, like it was so obvious the first year without Ortiz that they just missed that middle of the order presence. Here it's like, 
is he planning for the future a little bit? Like, I don't know. I like almost like I wouldn't be completely shocked if they didn't end up with Kimbrel, but at the same time, it, it, it'd be head scratching. You know, it's they kind of had the perfect storm with the bullpen in the playoffs last year, right? Where the guys that needed to pitch well pitched very well, and then they had all the starters. But that was like everything went right, you know. And, and you can't do that Kelly. for 162 games. No, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely can't. Yeah, I think it's bewildering that Robertson went for two years, 23 mil, and that's kind of relatively cheap, especially what Kimbrel's probably going to get. Um, and if you look at their statistics, the very topable pitchers, Kimbrel obviously has got, you know, he's younger, he's got the better track record, but they're kind of a wash. But I was reading an article from you, Chris, I think it was yesterday, and this is a belonging lines of the bullpen. You were talking about Tyler Thornburg in the article about him being poised to be a dark horse candidate. Do you think he could kind of fill in in the back end of the bullpen? See, he with his uh, the TOS surgery is such a crapshoot that I actually like Dombrowski kept dropping his name last year too before he was trading for anyone and when he was like, no, we uh, you know we think uh, you know Tyler Thornburg's throwing well. It's like that surgery is no joke. There are guys that like are completely ruined by it. There's some that come through just fine, but like. Matt Harvey had the same surgery, and look at what Matt Harvey's done, right? So I, I think Good he's point. someone you can't you, you can't rely on him, but I could see him grow like being a dark horse at some point where everyone's just kind of forgotten about him now. Where you know it's been two years, right? Yeah. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't rely on him at all, but it's one of those things I wouldn't be completely surprised if he pitched you know well like he can either. But yeah. I, I just don't think yeah. you can be counting on him, and I, I love Robertson too, just because that two year deal gives you so much flexibility with all these other guys coming up where if you end up giving Kimbrell four or five years, like you're, you're locked in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like that money that could be going to Xander Bogart is allocated to Craig Kimbrell and they're not going to outspend everybody forever either. So is the yeah. feel that Kimbrell's deal will have to be reduced to like a two, three year deal so that they'll have the flexibility to actually, you know, when bats and bogey and sale and, et cetera, become free agents, and they're going to have to sign those extensions prospectively. I mean, that, that's what I would think. But, um, you know, it's tough because his, his initial ask was six years, which I think yeah. I think he knew no one's going to give him six, but you start high. Then you come down to five and four, and even then, like, even at three years, you're tied up for a bit, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not one of those mm-hmm. things – see, I think uh, – it's pretty interesting from Kimbrell's perspective, right? Where so if you're a free agent last off season and you see this freeze is happening, then you're like, okay, whatever. I'm going to take a one year deal eventually. The market's going to reset itself, and I'm going to get a ton of money next year. Well, this is the second year in a row that teams just aren't spending on guys. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he's still going to try to get the years, the term that he thinks he deserves. So, what what would you attribute the second year market lag to? Because I know that we have like a lot of theories, some more concrete than others. Um, but what what would you what is your sense of, of why the market is shaping out where the people in the middle class and even kind of trickling into the upper class of free agents are not getting the money that they you know are accustomed to? See, it's a combination of things. I think first and foremost, one of them is tanking. Like you can you can look at the uh, like pull up all all thirty teams right now, and you can point to ten that actively aren't trying and aren't going to try and sign any of these guys. So like right away, you have a third of the league that's not going to do that. Um, a lot of it, too, just comes down to, like, because baseball has no salary cap, you have no idea how much teams actually have to spend. You know, it's not like 
hockey where you can be like, oh, well, they, they can spend up to $82 million or whatever, and they have 70 so they have 12 to spend. It, it's so hard to tell. And I think some of it is <clears> – <throat> I don't think it's collusion, which gets thrown around a lot now. Like, that's the yep. word collusion is hot in the streets. I think it's more like common sense collusion where, you know, you look at some of these mega deals that have been doled out and they're terrible on the back end. Like the John Carlos Stanton deal is going to be awful at some point. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really blame teams for not spending on guys generally. Like, because a lot of times you get free agents hitting the market at 30 and their best years are either happening right then or they're already behind them. But that's why with so Machado and Harper are both 26. They should be getting mega deals based on the caliber of players they are and the fact that their best years hypothetically should be ahead of them still. Um, so I, it's troubling. I mean, the league, it, it's just not a healthy place right now. Yeah, I, I, I feel like everybody wants a Max Scherzer, that kind of thing to pan out. But I think history has shown that, like, most long-term deal, deals, especially, as again, the latter half, just just are not worth it. Um, but, yeah, as, as you alluded to, it's kind of surprising with Tyler Harper, who should have, you know, a decade of good years ahead of them or, or have not signed at this point. Ultimately, we'll see. Um, but to that, speaking to that, and, and you, we kind of talked about this a little bit, um, For the Red Sox have a lot of guys who are going to be making a lot of money soon, uh, whether they're with the Red Sox or not, is, uh, we'll wait and see. But I want to know, out of Bogart's bets and sale, and there's a lot of conversations about potential extensions, there's a lot of rumors, um, who do you think is most likely to get extended out of those three? Um, it's interesting. So if I had to say, like, who do I think the Red Sox want to extend most of the three, it's definitely Seth. Yeah. But I think he's going to test free agency. Like, he's given every indication that he's going to test free agency. But that's still a couple years away. In terms of Bogarts or Sale, um, Bogarts is the one they've reached out to already. But he's also a Scott Boras client, and they always seem to go to free agency, right? Like, that's one of the things that Scott says is test your market, go out there. Yep. Uh, Seth isn't a Bogart, or a Boris guy. Um, he's a different agency. But, um, yeah, Bogart is. So I, I think he will also test free agency unless they blow him away, um, which leaves Sale, who they haven't reached out to. But I, I think with Sale, they're waiting to see if he can put a full season together, right? Because if, mm-hmm. if he shows you that he can do that, there's no second-half slide. Then you just, you know, break, take out, break out the Brinks truck, like back it up, give him all that money because yeah. he's so nasty. And if he can sustain it, he's the best pitcher in the league. Yeah. With Bogarts, um, the thing with Bogarts is there's just like no internal replacement that you can point to and be like, oh, well, they're losing Bogarts, but so and so's in the system and he, he's coming up soon. Like they have nobody close. So I think they really do want to extend him too. Um, but it's just gonna, I, I don't think they're gonna get any sort of discount. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect them to. I think all, all three are obviously gonna get a lot of money. But I mean, it's interesting, and I think I'm kind of getting the sense, um, that you are that sale might be the most likely, just because, uh, Betts and Bogart seem like destined to hit free agency. But yeah. again, sale is obviously the most, uh, injury prone. He's, He's a pitcher. He doesn't have as much inherent – well, not as much inherent value, but he's obviously more risk – he's not as risk-averse as, as the other guys. So. And he has yeah, a bad track record there, too. Exactly, exactly, which is all the more to concern. But, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be something to pay attention to in the next year or two. Um, Dave, did you have any more questions for Chris? Um, 
Not a question, just as much an observation on that. I I found it interesting that of those three, it's like Mookie's basically all but said, I'm going to test free agency. Bogarts, you know, is, and meanwhile, Chris Sale is saying, hey, my phone's right there. Call me. I'll yeah. talk extension. And he's the one that we're like, eh, maybe not about. So, yeah, and then you and another, actually, I do have one other question. Uh, speaking on this, J.D. Martinez all but guaranteed to opt out after this year if he puts together another season. I mean, you got to imagine he'll get a lot more money than what he's currently making. Do you see the Red Sox, how do you see uh, J.D. playing in with uh, everyone else about to get big money? Yeah, I think he's absolutely going to opt out, um, <clears throat> given that he stays healthy. I think that's really the only thing that would keep him from opting out. Um, and I think the Red Sox knew that, too. Like, the way his deal structured is five years, 110, but he makes $50 million of that in the first two years. Um, so he's, he, he got more money at the front of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he also opts out. And he's, you know, another Boris guy who you think is going to test the market. But he's interesting because he already tested the market, right, and it didn't work for him. So I don't, I don't know if he's a guy that the Red Sox would also go to, like, you know, kind of behind the scenes and rework that deal because it's obvious for, like, anyone that's watching them how important he is to what they're doing. But, it, it, mm-hmm. yeah, but it just, it's just at some point you can't find them all. So it, it's it's tough to say. There's, there's going to be a lot of tough decisions for the Red Sox to make. And we didn't even – we didn't even mention um, – we didn't. We didn't even mention. We didn't even mention Purcell or JBJ in this. And and they're wow. they're both. They're both. <laughs> they're, they're, gone. they're gone. They're gone. They're gone. There's no. Sh- <laughs> um, the thing yeah. with Rick. The one thing I'll say with Porcello is I think of this entire bunch, he's the most likely to be like, yeah, I would take a discount to stay. Like, oh, I, yeah. I think he would be the like, the one of this crew that would take like the hometown discount and. You know, not the not the John Lester hometown discount. You know, like oh, okay, we'll give you like ten dollars. We'll pay, give you right? nothing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I think he's the one that would take less the market value to stay. I just don't know if they, you know, see their money going that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually I actually have one more question for you, Chris. Um, yep. So you're getting ready to go to spring training. Couple couple weeks, week and a half, two weeks. Um, Give me some guys that you're watching um, on, on the peripheral to break camp with the Red Sox. Who, who are some guys we should pay attention to that are not just, you know, very well-established Red Sox players? Oh, man, these ones are so hard to predict. Like last year, <laughs> last year, Marcus Walden and Bobby Pointer were on the opening day roster, right? Like that'll be a – You didn't, you didn't see that coming? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, the one thing I learned is to listen to Cora. Like – all spring training, he kept talking about how much he loved uh, Pointer and Walden. He's, oh, Bobby, Pointer just gets guys out. All he does is get guys out. And he kept saying the same, oh, Walden, like, he's throwing the ball really well, you know? And you're like, yeah. oh, is Cora just, like, pumping tires? Like, no, he actually, like, <laughs> like he really likes these guys, and they're going to uh, – <laughs> they're going to stick around. But, I mean, I think you look at the, the bullpen, if they don't add anyone else, like, they're, that is a real crapshoot. Like, that could be – so many different guys, um, even like Triple A journeyman type. But um, it's it's kind of crazy that there's no real outside of the bullpen. It's not like positional battles or anything really, like because you brought back all of the roster players, right? Your rotation's yeah. pretty much set. Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of a dull spring training from that perspective, just outside of the bullpen. That's going to be in flux. So uh, we we didn't even talk to you about the Mejia signing. Um, 
Do you want to speak yeah. to that real quick? What were your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that's another testament to how messed up these offseasons are, that, like, a guy that was banned from baseball is getting signed before Craig Kimbrell. Like, what what are we doing here, you know? Like, I, yeah, I know. one thing I'll say, like, <laughs> from a baseball perspective, I understand it. Like, he's a very – that's a low-risk, high-reward type signing. You know, I think he gets 600000 if he makes the major league roster. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder from a clubhouse perspective what that brings to it. Like, they jailed very well last year, right? But Chris Sale mm-hmm. is one of the most vocal leaders in there. Chris Sale's favorite T-shirt is just this one that says, all me, PED free. And he's very outspoken about, like, how much he hates steroid use. So I, I just oh, wonder what's too, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're, like, there's some very adamant, like, no, there's no place for PED, guys, like, as there should be. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to drop someone like that into the Petri dish now, you know, like, say he's in that clubhouse. I mean, I, I suppose if there's anyone that could smooth something like that over, it's Cora and would be cognizant of it. But, um, yeah, that's it's just from a clubhouse perspective, I don't know. From a baseball perspective, I mean, I guess it makes sense if you're not going to spend on anyone else. And, I, I mean, I was seeing tweets from from free agents uh, on about the Mejia signings and something to the effect of, oh, I can't get, like, a call from any team, and yet this guy who has a lifetime ban just got a one-year deal with the Red Sox. And it was a minor league deal, but still, yeah. the point remains, yeah. That that was really yeah. interesting to see that <laughs> see that actually happening. Oh God, I, I don't blame him for being frustrated either, right? Like, no, yeah. So yeah, like if I'm was, if I'm Dallas Keuchel, I'm thinking, what do I have to do to get a job if this guy's getting one? Right, and so I think uh, while you bring Keuchel up, I think Porcello is going to be watching him very closely to see what he gets on the open market because those mm. two are very similar in the sense that like they have the Cy Young. They're not dominant guys, but they can pitch well enough. They eat a lot of innings, you know, so what's the market for them? Only difference would be Keiko's a lefty, but still, you know, it's, it, they're kind of the same in that regard. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very interesting conflict I hadn't thought of. But, yeah, yeah, they have a lot of the uh, same merits for for them going. So hopefully Keiko's market would develop for Priscilla's sake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Chris, um that's, I think, going to do it for this interview. Um, thank you for continuing our tradition of getting Red Sox beat writers named Chris on the show. That was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you, you are our fourth. You are our fourth. So That's thanks. pretty good. <laughs> well, technically, Chris Hatfield, I don't think he's technically a beat reporter, though. But Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Semantics. Well, you, got, you got Smitty and, Smitty and Cotillo already? Yep, we, yep. we got both of them. <laughs> Do you have any other recommendations? <laughs> Is there anyone else? Uh, it has to be Chris? a Chris. Uh, it's got to be a Chris. I don't, I don't think so, but you got to think there's one coming up in the pipeline, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to think, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. All right, well, thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. Let's get yeah, uh, thank you for coming on, Thank Chris. you so much, Chris. So, yes, that was Chris Mason of the Eagle Tribune. I want to thank him one more time for coming on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at ByChrisMason. Um, great Red Sox follow, one of the best beat writers the Boston Red Sox are fortunate to have. So, yeah, please check him out, um, and I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Um, yeah, but you guys can follow this podcast on a variety of platforms. We are now on Spotify. That is the new place you can find us, but we're all, we've are all we been on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and if our wonderful affiliate, The Grueling Truth, posts us on their many platforms, you can, you can find us on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, etc., 
So yeah, guys, thanks thanks for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back again for next week, hopefully with another interview. And yeah, as always, go Red Sox. And Patriots. Just do like a blooper I'm gonna, reel. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna create a like, blooper set. <laughs>just picture he was one wide boy he looks like a fucking wrestler <laughs> one wide boy <laughs> such a punchable face and like i hate i'm judging him because of his face <laughs> but here i am because i think we gave chris crap for like talking about drew pomerantz yeah yeah drew, well, yeah. well chris never stops that's like a 10 minute no. monologue against drew pomerantz <laughs> no. led by his stupid face <laughs> Let me tell you about Drew Pomeranz's face. <laughs> of course, that's where you come in. How long have you? Did been, you how, how much of this did you hear? Like ten seconds. Oh, okay, okay. Ma- Manny Machado is Machop. I look, I don't know that much about I don't know Pokemon, so that means you got What is what is Machop? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Come on, Pat. Oh, so you know about Pokemon too? How wouldn't I? I don't know, man. I don't Dustin like it. It's a Monster is, Inc. thing again. Dustin Pedroia is Execute. Which is just a bunch of eggs. <laughs> I can see it. Um, Trying to find other relevant ones. See, the problem All is the that ones I, I know, know the original 150. I know Charizard. I know Bulbasaur. Jigglypuff. Pachino <laughs> Pikachu. Snorlax, I was getting to Pikachu. I was just going for the harder ones first. Snorlax, um, that thing with the red wings, and Pikachu. So you don't know that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> in other words, I can visualize it in my head. <laughs> Ash Ketchum. But it's not a Pokemon, that's a character. I know, I know, I know. Trevor Williams responded to it, the Pirates pitcher. He was, was like, he on there? He was like, can I be a Pokemon too? <laughs> she said she sent him a gif of uh Rihanna and he was like he was like Rihanna is not a Pokemon.